You're listening to the weekly podcast of Citizens Church with Pastor Chris Norman. For more information on the work that God is doing through Citizens Church, please visit us online at citizenschurch.org. Um, I'm really excited to share with you things from, I brought my journal here that have been stirring my heart. You know, we're still in January for a few more days, and so it's, there's still time to get in under the wire on those resolutions, right? I saw the donut table on the way in, so it's likely that's blown for many of us. But, but I, I really do believe that the, the power of a new year gives us a chance to adjust our heading, to look at the compass, and to sort of ask the question, do I want to chart a course into the human or into the supernatural? Do what, what do we want this year to be like? Scripture says that God crowns the new year with his goodness. So there is a natural reset point to the beginning of a new year and to the chance and the opportunity to assess, am I going in the direction that I want to go? Because newsflash, if I keep going where I've been going, I'm going to keep getting what I've been getting. And some of us are sick of where we're at, but we're not changing the input. So how is the output going to be any different? And so I really just felt like my assignment today coming in was just to, to thank God with you for all that he's done. We're amazed. We, we love what's happened here. It's clearly a work of God's Holy Spirit. But to say, what do we want the story of 2024 to be? Because in just a few 11 months, we're going to be looking back on 2024. But right now, it's unwritten. Right now, we, we, get, to, we get to ask the question, where do we want to go and what's it, what's it going to take to get there? And for me personally, I felt like I was supposed to just personally tell you what God's been whispering to me into this year and the mindset that I'm choosing to walk in in this year. And it's just this simple phrase. You know, we, sometimes we have like words for the year. Well, God gave me a phrase for the year for my own personal soul, and it's this. Presence over pressure. Presence over pressure. At all times, we get to choose what we walk in. And by the time I get to the end of 2024 and we're getting ready for 2025 to begin, if, if we're alive and if Christ hasn't returned, I want to look back over this year and say, I prioritized and walked in God's presence over pressure. Now, of course, when I talk about pressure, I'm, I'm using it in, in a negative way. But we have to be clear and be nuanced that pressure is not all bad. Can we agree with that? I mean, if it is, good luck doing something for God. Have you read Hebrews 11, <laughs> right? It's like, I want to I be used by God. How do you feel about decapitation? Because that's, <laughs> says they got sawn in two. That was Isaiah probably. His job was to go and preach to people who were never going to listen. How's that for a mission field? God says, I want you to go preach. They're never going to listen. But I'd love you to preach until the city's torn down. And you know what Isaiah said? When do we start? So Hebrews 11 talks about people being torn by wild beasts. It talks about people who got promises, but they didn't get fulfilled for decades. Of whom the world was not worthy. Oh, they had pressure because pressure is necessary. Anybody have a pulse today? Check it out. Make sure. It's be important to find out. If you don't have one, raise your hand up. The only reason your heart beats is because there's pressure. If they put a cuff on your arm and there's no pressure, Houston, we have a corpse. 
So pressure keeps you alive. Pressure keeps you driving down the highway. Pressure goes low in your tires, right? Your ride on the 91 is not going to be great. Is any ride on the 91 ever great? I don't know. So pressure can be good. But when I say presence over pressure, what am I insinuating? That there's a negative side of pressure. That there is, in fact, a kind of pressure that's not from God. So what do I mean when I say, and I, and I say God's been whispering to me, Levi, in this new year, as, we, as I crown the year with goodness, what goodness, what's it going to take to get to that goodness? It's me choosing to prioritize presence over the negative pressure, the sinful pressure. Let's define our terms here. I'm talking about anxious pressure. Beloved, that's not from God. And that's going to lead us away from and not to what God has for you this year. Anxious pressure. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit. Finish it with me if you can. Of God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's anxious pressure. What is fear? My working definition is that it's faith in the enemy. Fear is faith in the dark one. Now, fear is fine in your life so long as it stays a noun. Noun means I feel in my heart right now fear. I feel fear. That's going to happen if you're following God into a lion's den, if you're following God into the unknown of church planning, if you follow God into the unknown of the next chapter, the next decade of Citizens Church, of the new dreams, of the new opportunities, of the new campuses, of the, God, you're going to need faith if you're going to walk into a lock-in. I've been to one of those. <laughs> Where are my youth leaders at? Who serves in the youth leadership? Okay, just, no, here's, here's what you need to know about a lock-in. You will live one year less per lock-in you serve at. Fact. It's like the princess bride machine. Not to 50. <laughs> it's like that. That's a lock-in. Just sucks. I just took one year off your life. Boom. So, so if you're going to walk with God, there's gonna, you're going to feel fear. Fear, the noun, is fine. 365 times in the Bible, God says, do not fear. Why? Because fear will show up in your life as a noun. It's a choice, though. Do I choose to use fear as the verb? Once you fear something, once you choose to fear as a verb, you're choosing to sin by putting your faith in the enemy. And beloved, our faith is not in the enemy. Our faith is in God who raises the dead. And when we feel fear, I believe it's necessary for then there to be the, the faith response of faith in God in the midst of what you're afraid of. So you feel fear, but choose faith. Why? Because if God didn't give it, you don't have to keep it. And God didn't give you that spirit of fear. God didn't give you and call you to fear. He didn't call you to that kind of pressure, to that kind of choice, to that kind of, I got to work this out. What's going to happen? Where are my kids going to go to college? What's life going to be like in 10 years? How is it going to work? How is there going to be enough money? What about this doctor's report? What about these bills? What about there being so much month left at the end of the money? And when it's on you to figure it out, pressure. I got to make this ministry grow. I got to write a killer sermon. It's got to be good. I got to, I got to, I, I, got to, got to, I, I, me, my, my. Now it's not thy anymore, is it? It's all on you, honey. 
It's all on you, bro. You better be strong. I hope you've been lifting. Pressure. But God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power. Hello, that's good. He's been given, you've been given a spirit of power, a spirit of dunamis, a spirit of dynamite, a spirit of resurrection, a spirit of authority, spirit of power and love. Finish it with me if you know it. And of a, how do we walk in that? Go backwards. Take what you can, do what you can, utilize the agency that is yours, love God with all your mind, choose to win the battle of mind before you win the battle of fist. Kung Fu Panda taught me that. (laughs) And if you're walking in the thoughts that set your mind on things above, the thoughts where you say, is this good? Is this helpful? Is this noble? Is this praiseworthy? Is this a virtue? Is this, is this, it, 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 are those the right? If not, I'm taking my thoughts captive and choosing to believe God in spite of all evidence to the contrary. And everything rages against you. And you're in the whirlwind of, of doubt and how and I don't know and where is he? And he hasn't even been answering my prayers lately. C.S. Lewis said, that God delights most in the prayers we pray in times of spiritual dryness. And you can look out at the universe and see no sign of his goodness, no sign of his kindness. You can see no sign of even his presence, but believe him anyway. And choose faith over fear and choose in your mind to say, it doesn't matter, I still believe him. Though he slays me, I will follow him. Even if he abandons me, I'll trust him. You will get to love and a sound and, and, and power and authority and all those things by walking in the power of a, of a strong mind. And love casts out all fear. So when I say presence over pressure, I'm saying we're choosing God's presence over the anxious fear that will creep in when we live functionally like there is no God. I would love for you to turn to two places in Scripture, first being Psalm 84, and then if you have a second digit attached to one of your hands, also turn with me to 1 Samuel 5. Two places, provocative. It's okay. You have shoulders for it. You're an 11-year-old church now. Well, on your way. You're in your 11th year, as it were. Uh, Psalm 84, and then, like I said, 1 Samuel 5. Um, Title of my message, if you like to take notes in church, which is really helpful in case you're new to the journey, right? Just just coming along, like uh, writing things down helps because uh, we are so flipping ADD, all tick-tocked out of our little minds, that we need uh, something to kind of focus us here. So at the top of the paper or your memo on your iPhone, just write this down. I can't cover for you anymore. Can't. I can't cover for you anymore. Like you would say to someone in your study group who like week after week after week doesn't do the thing they were supposed to do for the assignment. Like you were supposed to research Abraham Lincoln's top hat, why he wore it. I was working on Gettysburg Address. You were over here working on Emancipation Proclamation. And this cat was working on the 13th Amendment. And every week you come in with nothing on the top hat. And they just kind of coast and roll their eyes and aw shucks it. But finally you go like, hey, 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 if you want the grade, You need to do the work. 
I can't cover for you anymore. And you're like, that's unloving, Levi. No, no, no. There's a point that you cross patience and you cross love bears all things and you get to a place of helping actually hurting. Counselors talk about enabling and a codependence and the toxicity of both the person who loves being rescued as a victim and the toxicity of the person who needs to be the hero and swoop in and do the rescuing and be the doormat and forgive again and have shoulders. I'll just take it. I'll just do it. I'll just, uh, the helicopter mom syndrome. Not my son. Mom showing up to job interviews and stuff. Like, like, what the heck, bro? There's a point where you just got to say, I can't cover for you anymore. You need to feel some of these consequences. You, may, you might need to lose this job. You might need to lose your driver's license. I'm not covering for you anymore because you need to feel some of this at this level because if you don't now, what will you do then? when the stakes are much, much, much higher, right? That's the title of my message. Uh, Psalm 84, let's finally get to this beautiful passage. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield. Our shield. God, you are a shield. And then he says, and look upon the face. This is curious. All, all of us notice the word your is capitalized. You're our shield. Look on the face of your anointed. They will, we're told, still be praising you. Why? Because God looks upon us, but sees Jesus covering us. Who is God's anointed, if not Jesus? The anointed one. That's what the word Christ means. The anointed one, the sent one. He is our shield who covers us. If we are in Christ, God looks at us, but sees Jesus. That's why Pastor Chris was saying, on my best days, I'm a child of God, and on my worst days... I'm a child of God, right? Because God doesn't see you having a bad Tuesday or a hump Wednesday or a sloppy Saturday. God looks at you, beloved, and sees his son, Jesus. Righteousness is not based on you. It's placed on you. Come on, let's thank God together that God doesn't look at us and go, oh, you had a bad week. What have you done for me lately? He's our shield. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a son and a... The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. First heading 
If you take notes of three, by the time I get to the third one, we are almost at lunch. The power of his presence. That's what this psalm is about. If I'm making a case as to why we should walk in presence over pressure this year in 2024 as citizen church, as we march into all that God has for us, I could do no better than to offer you Psalm 84 for a reason as to why God's presence is like nothing else. And it's better than anything else you could choose. His presence. It was put out there by Spurgeon and by Matthew Henry, famous old dead preachers, that this is a psalm actually written by David, even though it's, it's sort of presented by a pen name, the Sons of Korah, which some believe is sort of a way that David would, who maybe felt a little self-conscious about how many psalms he was writing. I mean, Moses only wrote a couple. That he kind of started to divvy out some of his, his best psalms and under a different name just because he didn't want so much attention on them. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but this, these two men, Spurgeon and, and Henry, say this is clearly from its, its tone, from its lyrical content. This is, you, you feel that? Like when you drink coffee, like, mm, it's a pomegranate. Mm, the mouth finish is, you know, tangerine or whatever. Like I never, it just always tastes like coffee to me, right? Oh, no, this one, you can tell it was, it was aged in, in barrels. It was grown in the, the shady side of a mountain in Ethiopia while a, while a one-legged fiddler played songs over it. I'm like, I'm not getting any of that. They say, this is, this is David. And as they ask the question, when in his life did he write it? It's put out there. You'll find in commentaries, not all of them, but some of them, that it's possible he wrote this psalm after his son Absalom tried to take over the kingdom and David had to live on the run, hunted by his own son. And there on the road, there out by himself, what did he long for? Not his bed. He wasn't like, oh, I love my toilet. What did he say? He said, the presence of God is what I miss most. I'm jealous of the birds who never have to leave. They have their nest built in God's presence. And here am I so far away from Jerusalem, the city of peace. He longed for how lovely are your courts. He desired to gaze. David said in Psalm 27, one thing I seek, nothing else matters, that I may dwell in the house of God all the days of my life. I want to gaze upon his beauty. Paul said the same thing. Every other thing I could possibly have is some, something that would give me riz, W riz. Comes from the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What was he saying? He's saying there ain't no riz like he is risen. He was saying, I want what's in the face of Jesus. I want to know him and be conformed to his death that I may obtain and attain the, the resurrection Everything else I count as garbage. Everything else, it's just, it, it, it might as well be trash compared to the, not, the, the presence of God, the, the power of his presence. Now, of course, you're like, presence, presence of God, isn't that kind of everywhere? Well, yes. Thanks for bringing that up. God is omnipresent. God was no more in Jerusalem than he was wherever David was hiding on the run from Absalom. God is no more here in this moment than he is anywhere else because God is always everywhere. That was the sound of my tiny brain exploding. You could barely hear it. I know, it was very small. 
So if God is omnipresent, we can take a 747 to the furthest edges of Antarctica, and he will be exactly as much there as he was here. So why would we ever go anywhere and bemoan God being more somewhere? Because theologians agree there is a difference between God's omnipresence and his manifest presence. The manifest presence of God is when the God who is always there comes near. How does that work, Levi? I don't know. And neither do you. But when you feel it, you feel it. And this, in its fullest concentrated dose, is what we lost in Genesis 3, where one man, once man and Eve, and, and his wife Eve walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day and beheld the glory of God. And this, in its full and final concentrated form, will be what is restored at the end of all things, when we will have no more need of sun nor moon, for the glory of the Lord shall be its light. Now, some people will say, well, that means there's no sun in heaven. Don't be an idiot. It didn't say there won't be one. It says we won't need one. Have you ever gone camping? And early in the morning, you wear a headlamp to make your coffee, and you light a little cute little lantern to, to go outside and find the bathroom, and you're all excited about how bright your little light is because it's a dark, scary world without it. And then you forget that you left it on after the sun rose. And you catch your reflection in a glass, and you're like, oh, my God, I still have that little cute little thing on. And compared to the sun, this, which was at one point, your difference between life and death is now like, that's what the presence of God will do to the sun. It'll still be there. It just ain't the brightest thing in the universe anymore. Seats taken. and to know him, and to sense him, and to be near him, and to exalt him, and to worship him, and to participate in the divine dance that's always taking place within him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what? Joy inexpressible and full of glory. And we beheld him. And it would seem between Genesis 3, the loss of access, and Revelation 21 and 22, the restoration of that access, there does seem to be dispensations and uh, sort of, I guess you could say, phases to our access to that manifest presence being radiated on and off. All throughout the Old Testament, you couldn't get there except by proximity to the Ark of the Covenant or access to the tabernacle, then the temple in the church age, the, the veil has been torn and wonder of wonders that God who had to be approached through coming near to the mercy seat of the box can now actually be approached anywhere because wonder of wonder, you're that box and I'm that box and this is a mystery and I don't fully understand it, but God lives in you. But somehow, some way, as we come together in worship, there is a sense in which we participate in the divine in a way that's unlike what happens when we worship them on our own. And not all moments in God's presence are the same. And for whatever reason, in whatever wisdom of his choice, 
he can choose. It would seem like, like, like the way that you have a dimmer switch on a light and a light can be on but not fully on and it can be radiated up and radiated down. There is times in history when God chooses as we worship him consistently. He, he allows us to behold his glory in a unique way. Somewhat like when Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a high mountain and was transfigured before them and he began to glow. There are times when our Christian walk, as we just faithfully walk with him, showing up and worshiping, opening up our scripture and getting down on our knees and trusting him with communion and, and celebrating another baptism and sharing the gospel and continuing to do the long obedience in the same direction of walking with Jesus, where for whatever reason, God chooses to break through and we experience the manifest presence of God in a way unlike we've ever experienced it before. And in those moments, any any other kind of glory, any other kind of pleasure become the cuteness of a little headlamp compared to the bright and morning sun. And it is that and not being actually in Jerusalem that David longs for. He's longing and he's expressing the human desire that's the desire behind any other desire. It's the desire that to drink from it is to drink from a river of pleasure. It's to experience the sensation of the fullness of joy because at his right hand are pleasures evermore. It's the sense of safety and comfort and home that every single heroin addict in the country is longing for, but looking to a polluted stream that cannot quench the desire of the human heart. It's the bliss, it's the ecstasy, it's the transcendent, it's the immortal God who clothes himself in light and rides the wind as though they were its chariot and speaks out stars. This is God who is known to us in the name of Jesus Christ, his son. And one moment in his presence will change you forever. It will cause time to stand still. One day, a thousand days anywhere else. I first experienced the presence of God like that as a 14-year-old in a prayer meeting in a small group at Ian Scroggins' house. And we were just praying, a bunch of high school kids and our youth leader. And I felt like time stood still. Was I there a thousand years or was I there a day? I didn't know. I just had a moment And it happened again in worship a few years later where God just chose to radiate his glory up. And we don't walk away from a worship experience going, well, it didn't happen. It wasn't as good that time like we're counting goosebumps from the worship set. The moment you walk out of church talking about how good it was turns you to the object of the worship. This isn't the voice. This isn't about you pushing a button on how good Pastor Chris was last week. The question we should be asking wasn't, was it good for me? Was it, was it good for you? And when, for whatever reason, God chooses to allow us to sense his presence in a unique way, those moments are a gift, but they're not the goal. He is our prize. 
And when he is lifted up as holy, we, in whatever reason he allows, for whatever reason he allows, we get to experience glory. He is holy. We see him as holy. We experience as an outcome the glory. For holy is what he does, and holy is what he is, and glory is what he does. And when we feel the glory of God, it's because he has been seen as the holy one. Not just holy, and not even just holy, holy. Friends, he is holy, 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 Isaiah and Revelation alike. Separated by some 2,700 years, it would seem. But that's still just what he is, holy, holy, holy. And when we see him as holy, we feel heaviness. Not the spirit of heaviness like the spirit of fear. The heaviness of the glory of God, which is weighty. Like a weighted blanket to calm in your anxiety. When our daughter died and we worshipped, there was a weight to the moment. A weight like the veil was thin. A weight like God was there and his angels had just left with our daughter's soul. A weight like God's presence was right there. And there have been moments like at Ian Scroggins' house and like in worship where just God's near, God's there, and it's always weighty. And do you know what happens when you experience a weight like that? The things of this world grow strangely dim. I have a little scale on my counter in my kitchen. I make coffee. I weigh out 28 grams of beans. Do you know how I do that? I put a cup on the scale, and the scale tells me how much the cup weighs. And then I push a button that says tear, T-A-R-E. And when I push the button that says tear, the scale, which was telling me what the cup weighs, now says zero. It weighs nothing because it's ignoring that. And now I can actually count out 28 grams of beans and that's all my scale is paying attention to because the previous weight is no longer being focused on. This is what a moment in God's presence does. You come into his presence. Oh, this situation. My brother, my, my job is so heavy. Oh my gosh, I can't believe how difficult this is, this chronic pain. And, and yes, this job and this employer and, and my son and, and my marriage. And then when we get into God's presence, we hit tear and we're not paying attention to that. And the scale says zero. And now all we're focused on is the weight of God's presence and what he's pouring out and who he is. And the delight of our soul gets to sing. walk out with time itself standing still and our, our weight scale being recalibrated why because that's the power of his presence second point jot it down what pressure points to okay so that's what that's what presence is now let's talk about the other like why we're going to walk in presence this year over pressure well here's what pressure points to are you ready for it Pressure, anxious pressure, points to idolatry. Where does anxiety come from? I believe it comes from idolatry. In fact, that's exactly what Augustine said. He said anxiety is the result of an overlove for a good thing. Let me say that again. 
Anxiety is the result of overlove for a good thing. That's from Augustine. So is, is porn an idol? Of course. But what, what is that? It's an overlove for a good thing of sex. Okay? So the devil distorts a love for a good thing and turns it into an ultimate thing. So your need for money, is money a good thing? Yeah. Actually, the Bible says gold was good before there was sin in the world. But when you overlove it, it becomes greed. Your overlove of food becomes gluttony. Your overlove of, of influence, which God uses for good things, becomes a need for power and control. So when that happens, we are turning a good thing into an ultimate thing, a God thing. And check it, it can't do a good job at that because that's not what it is. Sex can't save your soul. Power can't fill the hole inside of you. Your need for speed, your need for accomplishment, you Enneagram Threers who have to achieve, have to achieve, have to achieve. So, so your, your high control gets put, puts a good thing into a place that's, a, that's only a God thing. And what's the result? Anxiety. Example, have you ever hung a picture up in your house using a wall anchor? They rate them. Five pounds, 10 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, okay? What if you tried to hang a 50-pound mirror on a two-pound anchor? There's going to be anxiety because it's not going to hold what, it's, what you're trying to put on it. That's what you do with you when you put anything else in God's place in your life. You're begging for anxiety because now you have to hold up what should be being held up by the thing you put it on, which takes us to 1 Samuel 5. When the Ark of the Covenant got stolen by the Philistines, the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it for Ebenezer to Ashdod. The Philistines took the Ark of God. They brought it into the house of their god, Dagon, who's believed to be the father of Baal. Dagon was half fish from the bottom down and then half man from the navel up. He was King Triton. Okay, so they arose early in the morning. They had the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, sitting in front of Dagon, almost like the spoil of war, a trinket of war. But in the morning, the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, and there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in the place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, the head of Dagon, and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left so neither the priests of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors. But you'll see a footnote, and that's because many translators actually believe it's not tumors, it's hemorrhoids, which come from pressure. Or sitting on the toilet for too long on TikTok. Buyer beware. And when the men of Ashdod saw it, they said, the ark of the God must not remain with us for his hand is harsh toward us and toward Dagon, our God. Get this God box out of here. He's being mean to our God. What does pressure point to? Idolatry. Something else is being looked to to do what only God can do. And when that happens, what, ha what has to happen? You either make a change in what you're worshiping or you cover for your God. And they do that. They chose that. They lifted up Dagon. <laughs> 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 
and he fell over again. And this time his arms broke off and his face broke off and they covered for him again. Oh, he must be unhappy with us. He must have not liked it. That's why his hands and head fell on the threshold. So from now on, when we come in, we'll step over the threshold. That's what Dagon wants us to do. You know what we need? We need another rule. Well, yeah, clearly it's not the, the relationship's fault. No, no, you don't understand. She really does love me. We start covering for, well, I know it's not maybe happy yet, but I haven't got the promotion I'm going to get. And if I eventually can do it, well, I know I don't have peace now, but if my ministry could grow to this size, if I could have this much influence, well, then, if as long as I just don't step on the threshold, if I just keep tiptoeing around the, why are you covering for a covering that leaves you on? covered you need a new God well, my kids are the thing that are good that I've lifted into God's place well then get rid of your kids no that's not <laughs> right because that's where we go well my marriage is my idol then I got to get divorced hold on a second it's the restoration of the good thing to a good place by putting God into the rightful place and treating the thing that was taking his place as no longer a usurper. And so now instead of being the object of worship, it's gonna be a tool that you utilize to worship God as you treat it. Let him who stole steal no more, but let him work hard with his hands doing good that he may provide for those who are in need. So now we're gonna do some jujitsu and instead of worshiping the thing as God, we're going to worship God in how we approach the thing. So it's not like you, well, if I just wasn't a parent, I'd be able to, no, worship God in your parenting by no longer making your child your God, no longer making your husband your God, no longer making your career your God, no longer making your church your God, but worshiping God in how you approach your church. Otherwise, you're going to keep, you see this, propping up and covering for What's supposed to be carrying you, what did we say, Trey? On eagle's wings. Presence over pressure. Because pressure is an indicator to tell us we're looking to something other than God to do what only God can do for us. Tim Keller said that anxiety is the sound of a false God collapsing. And we have a choice then to abandon what we were worshiping or pick it back up and make an excuse for it. Lastly, and the team can come on up here, and we're done. We've laid out a case for why the presence of God is superior to anything, and a case for why pressure is not the path that's going to take us to where we want us to go. Let's ask this question. What are the gateways to glory? Third point. What are the gateways to the glory? How do we get to column one and, and to avoid column two? This is going to blow your mind. I want you to write it down. You have to ask for it. Okay, what else? No, that's, that's really it. Jesus said, God's not messing with you. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a scorpion. He's not a sicko. If you ask for an egg, he's not going to give you a rock. <laughs> How much more will the Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for it? I know you're like, that's good for you, but you encounter God in your, in your prayer meeting, and I don't. Okay, well, let me ask you a really crazy question. Do you go to prayer meetings? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. I believe those times, those moments, where for whatever reason that God does choose to radiate up his presence is more a reflection of our faithfulness to continue to show up in the times when he didn't. 
than it is what actually happened in that one moment where we experienced that blessing. Because we're not adrenaline thrill seekers in worship, booking ourselves at every worship concert that can be making it bigger and more epic than ever where they're singing all the bangers. But where we see Jesus for who he is. And the only right response is to open our mouths up and sing. Where we get on our knees and we just say, God, show us your glory. We want to see you. We want to experience you. We want to lift up your name. Because it's better than life. Do we want to live making excuses for a false God who's going to fall down in the threshold? Or do we want to be like David who said, one moment in your threshold as a servant would be better than any job this world could offer me. So as a point of practical application, after we ask, let's put ourselves in the line of fire. This church literally has a team of people whose job is to cover the door. You could do that. David said it's better in, in just the doorway, the threshold of your temple is better than, than the highest position in Dagon's temple. So let's be a people in the line of fire serving in the doorway. Let's open the door for people needing to come in and we'll experience glory as we not seek it for ourselves, but seek to bless and help other people. And so Father, our prayer is that you would show us your glory. We want to see you. We want to know you. We were created to lift you high, to not say me, 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 I, 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 but thy, thy, thy will be done in heaven above and earth below. So praise him. Praise him, all ye heavenly hosts. Praise him, creatures here below. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God, show us who you are. Show us your presence. We want to see you. We want to know you. We want to be conformed to your image. Now, if you want to sing, if you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to kneel, let's worship God together. Let's linger in his presence for a moment.
in your presence we see light to light up dark places as we continue in this moment of prayer if there's one person here today and you have not stepped out of Dagon's temple to worship the God the creator of the heavens and the earth this is your moment Dagon couldn't break his fall his palms broke off but Jesus could and he chose to stretch his arms out on the cross for you and today he stretches his arm out to you and says will you receive salvation and if you haven't this is your moment in time I want to lead you in a prayer if you're ready to surrender your heart to Jesus and make your heart his temple. You're like, what do I have to do? I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. Here, just say this to God. Believe with your heart, confess with your mouth. Say this, say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself and I'm not covering for my false gods anymore. I turn to you, the God who raises the dead. Please come into my heart and make it your home this day and every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
If you prayed that prayer, could you just raise your hand up? Come on, show me that you're trusting Jesus today. Praise God for salvation in the house today. Praise God for every single heart, every single life. Well, come on, let's thank God for what he's doing today, church. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Citizens Church. It's our prayer that through this message, God would impact and inspire your life. If you have any questions for us or would like to let us know how God is using these messages in your life, please let us know by sending an email to connect at citizenschurch.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help in seeing more lives changed through the work here at Citizens Church. Thank you so much for joining us. 